Hello goblins and ghouls and welcome to another episode of my Haunted Life podcast with me, your host, Angela Hartshorn. How are you today? I hope you are being kind and wonderful to yourself. You deserve it. I don't have a lot of housekeeping to go over. The next few months are going to be very crazy for me business-wise. Lots of traveling and sewing. So I'm going to be asking for your recommendations for your favorite haunted locations in the places I will be visiting. I'm trying to plan at least a day for haunted sightseeing in each city. Keeping my fingers crossed. This week, I'm asking for places in Richmond, Virginia. Podcast admin Phelan will be with me, and we are for sure already planning on checking out the Hollywood Cemetery, and I really want to find someone to tell me about this Richmond vampire I've been reading about. So if you know anyone, or know yourself, email me, comment on the Facebook group, whatever. I want to know. I just am desperately wanting to know. On today's podcast, I'm doing something a little different. I had the one and only Bella Brujita on a few weeks ago talking about her new podcast, The Haunted Insider. Today, I'm so excited to present you with the very first episode. If you are from Colorado, specifically the Denver area, you are well aware of the weird things that happen in Cheeseman Park after dark. Bella goes into the history of the park and the history of the hauntings. Paranormal history is my absolute favorite, and Bella has done so much research. It's just fun. It's it's a good podcast. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. She has a story to tell you. Howdy folks, and welcome to the first ever episode of The Haunted Insider. My name is Bella Brujita, and I am your boolesque host with the most. I hope that you learn something as well as fear something. If I could scare you and educate you all in one, then I'm doing my podcast correct. So thank you for tuning in for this first episode. Sit back, relax, and prepare to be scared. I would like to give a huge thank you to Angela from My Haunted Life podcast. She's really helped guide me in this new venture, and I look forward to having her on my podcast as well. So if you want something spooky after this, be sure to check out My Haunted Life podcast. Sit back and here we go. If you are from Denver, Colorado, 
There is no denying that in the last 10 years, we have experienced a boom in population. Many people don't know about Denver's dark and spooky history, so I thought we'd visit it. If you stroll through Cheeseman Park on a sunny Sunday afternoon, you're sure to see hipsters hooping, many volleyball games, and people enjoying picnics. But what these folks may not know is just six feet below them are the undead. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You heard that right. Cheeseman was Denver's first and infamous Mount Prospect Cemetery. I want you to sit back and picture in your mind what you believe a Wild West town looks like. Think about something depicted in those Wild Westerns. You have a sheriff, outlaws, bad guys, good guys, and prostitutes with hearts of gold. Well, that's pretty accurate when you look at the early history of Denver. In the Wild West, there's a need that pops up pretty quickly, and that's a place to put the bodies. So, in 1858, Mount Prospect Cemetery was set out five miles from town to make sure that Denver could be a proper city. As our city grew, so did the body count. In 1865, the Catholic section was added that was referred to as Mount Calvary. Things were thriving for Mount Prospect Cemetery. That was until 1872 when Congress decreed that the cemetery was illegally located on federal land, which had been originally allotted to the Arapaho tribe. The city protested, and in 1873, Congress sold the land back to the city, with the stipulation that it would always remain a cemetery. The once picturesque location of Mount Prospect Cemetery elevated on a beautiful hill overlooking the Rocky Mountains, quickly became a problem. It was very difficult to irrigate the land, and soon tumbleweeds and dust devils were a common sight. Also, on the occasion, cows could be seen meandering through the tombstones. The cemetery quickly became dilapidated, and it began getting nicknames that weren't quite as pretty, like the Old Boneyard, Boot Hill, or my personal favorite, Jack O'Neill's Ranch, named after one of the first buried people there, who was supposedly a rambunctious gambler. In 1876, Riverside Cemetery was established outside of town, along the banks of the Platte River. It was a beautiful piece of land, and it quickly drew the eyes of Denver's elite. They'd rather buried their loved ones in the beautiful cemetery as opposed to the old, dusty Jack O'Neill's ranch. That's when Mount Prospect Cemetery became home to what I call the three Ps, the paupers, the prostitutes, and the prisoners. It quickly became the cemetery for the forgotten, and it fell into even worse shape than it was before. As the city continued to grow, beautiful sprawling mansions began to pop up around Mount Prospect Cemetery. This was now where the elite lived, and it was part of the illustrious Capitol Hill. 
the site of the old boneyard was not good for property value. So people began to petition the city of Denver to remove the unsightly eyesore. And on January 25th in 1890, Congress agreed that the cemetery could become a beautiful and pristine park. The city put an ad in all of the major papers. It gave folks a grand total of 90 days to remove their loved ones out of their own pockets. They did that, and the result wasn't great. Much of Denver's population was illiterate. A lot of folks no longer lived in Denver. And since the cemetery had become a place for the forgotten, a lot of people remained. In fact, there was an estimated 5,000 bodies that were left behind. This took three years of planning to try to figure out what they were going to do and how they were going to get their prized park. In 1893, the city contracted a man by the name of Edward McGovern, who offered to remove the bodies at 190 a casket. In today's market, this would be about... $60 a casket. He hired 18 men and they set to work right away. But they realized that this grueling job was pretty thankless. So E.P. McGovern got an idea. Rather than put people in a normal sized casket, he grabbed children's caskets. He dismembered the bodies. He would throw a few bones here, some grave dirt, a few bricks, and call it a body. That way he could earn about three times the profit if one adult could fit in three children's caskets. Obviously this was not a humane practice and it drew quite the crowd of horrified onlookers. They even wrote about it in the Denver Republic. The article was titled, The Work of Ghouls. The line of desecrated graves at the southern boundary of the cemetery sickened and horrified everybody by the appearance they presented. Around their edges were piled broken coffins, rent and tattered shrouds, and fragments of clothing that had been torn from the dead bodies. All were trampled into the ground by the footsteps of the gravediggers, like rejected junk. Onlookers were horrified at the sight, and many protested. One onlooker with the name of Madame Sonara yelled, Go gently, go gently, whisper a prayer, or they will return. They will come. But the workmen jeered. They really should have listened to Madame Sonara. She knew what she was talking about, and the dead did return. One of the most frightening accounts that I came upon was in the book Twilight Dwellers. It talked about when a corpse fell out in plain view in front of a bunch of onlookers, including children. It read, the corpse was that of a young woman, her long, damp locks ripe with mold. Her flesh was blackened and leathery. She had no eyes and her lips were drawn back in a ghastly grin. The spectators moved away with a sound of murmuring as the workmen prepared to place the body in a box. Suddenly, there was a moaning from the corpse, and the men, L.J. Hood and Dan Vogel, stepped back in fear. 
Hood laughed nervously, accusing his partner of making the noise. It's just in the mind, said Vogel with a shrug. The corpse was broken and shoveled into two boxes. Immediately, Vogel took a rest from the work, his hands visibly shaking. He glanced at the closed boxes, a sigh escaping him. It was said that McGovern's men were pocketing trinkets and stealing from the bodies. If that wasn't bad enough, it was said that one of the men sang an eerie tune as he carted away the dismembered corpses. Rattle their bones over the stones. They're only paupers who nobody owns. Only paupers who nobody owns. This blatant disrespect would anger anyone, and it really angered the dead. With the bad press, E.P. McGovern was relieved of his duties. What was left behind was desecrated gravestones, tombs, half-showing caskets, empty pits, and an even worse eyesore than they had begun with. The city was over budget and had no idea how they would be able to get their beloved park. They erected a wooden fence around the cemetery to try to deter any grave robbers. The first ghost stories appeared during this year of 1893. The rich folks who were living in the mansions complained about a hollow moaning sound that sounded like the wind and creaking wood all in one. At night, they would be woken up to a rapping at their door. They'd go downstairs to find a gray, ghastly figure looking at them. Before they could say anything, the figure would vanish in a cloud of smoke. Also, the most famous phantom, a woman who's known as the Singing Lady, could be heard humming or singing an old Irish tune. One of the earlier claims is that of a horse-drawn hearse. Think of the one we've seen in President Lincoln's photographs of his funeral. They have huge feathery plumes, and it's said that its hooves could be heard echoing throughout the park late at night. This apparition has been seen as recently as 2002, when a motorist stopped at 9th and Corona as it glided through the intersection. Over budget with nothing to show except graves and ghosts, the city turned to private donors to try to complete their dream of a magnificent park. Walter Scott Cheeseman's family donated $100,000 to the construction of a pavilion, which is Romanesque and can still be seen today. As a thank you, the name Cheeseman Park remains. But there's still the problem of all of the open graves and the wooden fence. The city decided, rather than messing and going over budget again to remove the bodies, that they would take out the tombstones and flatten the land. There is an estimated remaining 2,000 bodies that are left behind and still there today. The park has taken on many different phases. In 1950, the city of Denver persuaded the Catholic Archdiocese to deed the Mount Calvary land back to the city, and that land has become the Denver Botanic Gardens, which was opened in 1966. Also, there was the plans to put in a lily pond, but the project was halted. I could only imagine that's because of what they found when they dug beneath the ground. Bodies have been found throughout Cheeseman in the modern era. 
In 2010, four skeletons were uncovered when workers were digging a sprinkler system in the park. And in 2008, when the Botanic Gardens were expanding and creating a large parking structure, two rows of coffins were unearthed. It is also said by people who grew up in the Capitol Hill neighborhood back in the early 70s when they were kids, you could dig around in the dirt and find coffin handles. One of the most reportedly haunted buildings in the surrounding area is the Waring Mansion within the Denver Botanic Gardens. It is used as their office administration building and it is not open to the public unless it's in October where they have their guest haunted tours. It is said that something dark and evil lives in the basement, but it is only active around October for those tours. Once they open up the servant's staircase, that's when activity begins to happen. There's poltergeist claims of cold spots, loud noises, things getting knocked over, lights being turned off, and even the more scary ones of people being scratched. So if you are able, be sure to book one of those ghost tours with the Denver Botanic Gardens so you can get a sneak peek on the creepy building. My favorite stories, which I have not yet been able to test, are that if you stand on top of the Cheeseman Pavilion, on a night where there is a lunar eclipse, you can look out at the surrounding grounds and see the outlines of tombstones and headstones. I believe this is some sort of residual haunting, and you're really looking at an imprint in time, or a glitch in the matrix, if you will. So there's supposedly a lunar eclipse coming up soon. You'll know where to find me. Also, one of the records is that in mid-May or early April, you can see outlines of graves that are a bit greener than the rest of the grass. The most famous spirit has had me baffled for years. The first people to encounter him were two gentlemen who were out in the park late at night. They sat down and decided to smoke a cigarette when in the distance they heard squeaking wheels from a bike. Up rides a little boy on a bike really late at night with a chain hanging out of his pocket, which is pretty unusual. What's even scarier is what the chain is attached to. It's a ghastly looking man who's in a hospital gown and bleeding from several wounds. He also has a jaw that is hanging and dislocated. He goes up to the two men and asks, You got a cigarette? They offer him one. And they said, do you need help? Are you okay? The man replies, did you see the ones who did this to me? I'm going to kill them when I find them. I'm going to kill them when I find them. And then he proceeds to follow the little boy on the bike and walk away. He then vanishes into a grove of trees. The two men were terrified, frightened, and ran home to their apartment. He's also been said to say, don't let him do to you what you've done to me. Locals call this apparition slack jaw or rattle jaw. And I really hope I never encounter him. The mystery remains though. 
Who is Rattlejaw? Why is there a little boy on the bike with a chain? And why does he only appear to gentlemen late at night? I have so many questions. The other spirits really fit into the story and the history, but he seems more modern. He's the one that's been cited most recently, in about 2012. As I said before, I hope I never meet good old Rattlejaw. The first time I ever learned about Cheeseman was when I was 12 years old. My family and I were participating in the annual AIDS walk, which we did every year. My mom got a free energy drink and she did not like it, so she began to pour it out into the grass. She looked at me with eyes wide and said, Oh no, I hope that doesn't wake anybody up. I looked at her confused and asked, What do you mean? That's when she told me about Mount Calvary and Mount Prospect Cemetery. I was already obsessed with the paranormal, but this definitely drove my passion and would lead me to become a Denver haunted tour guide. So thank you for listening to these stories about Cheeseman Park. And remember, if you're a hipster hooping on a nice Sunday or you're strolling through, just be respectful and watch out for those occasional odd holes that are in the middle. I hope you learned a lot. I hope I scared you. And I hope you come back to listen to The Haunted Insider. I want to thank you all for listening to my first episode. And know that it will only get better from here. Anchor is a really great source, but I'm still kind of tweaking and learning the editing. I have to say thank yous to the important people in my life. Number one, thank you to my sister Molly. She gave me this equipment to be able to record and bring you these terrifying tales. It was a very touching Christmas gift, and I love you, Molly. I also want to thank my supportive parents who've always fueled my love of the paranormal. And my mom did the artwork, which is adorable. So if you like what you heard, rate, review, subscribe, and know that there are more chilling tales to whisk you away. Good evening. I'm so proud of my girl, Bella. It's hard to believe that we only just became friends quite recently because she reached out to me because she liked my podcast. And now she has one of her own. It's a wonderful circle of life moment. I love it. The podcast is wonderfully researched, and Bella is such a great storyteller. I seriously loved her voices. I think that was honestly my favorite part. Make sure to check out The Haunted Insider on your favorite podcast apps, and she also has a lovely group on Facebook, so you can see what's going on. If you have a ghost story you want to share, don't forget to drop me a line at my haunted life podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please subscribe to the Patreon page. Podcasting is surprisingly time consuming with all the research, tech issues, and scheduling. Just, there's a lot. It adds up. You can support the show for as little as $2 a month. If you are a little tight on the financials right now, trust me, I understand. 
You can always go and leave a podcast, a five-star rating, and write a review on your favorite podcast app. It goes a long way to helping people find us. And that's it for the show this week. I'll see you all next week on my Haunted Life podcast. Bye!